Welcome to the Ministry of Motion Pictures podcast. I'm animation director and filmmaker, Todd Schaefer. Dr. Mark Coppinger is with me again as we continue to ruminate about Hollywood films and the Christian film genre. Dr. Coppinger is professor of philosophy and ethics at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he supervises a doctoral program in aesthetic theology. He's a very special interest in Christian film and the arts, and he's been the lead for my advisory board at Glorious Films. In this episode, we talk about the need for Christian films to have both truth-likeness and cinematic craftsmanship. I used to edit SBC Life magazine, and I went out to, uh, to L.A. and interviewed some people who were in the industry, and they reflected upon, upon their work there. And one of the guys, one, it was a guy who actually made, it was called The Pistol. And it, I saw, actually, I saw it on a Delta airline plane first, but it was about Pete Maravich and his youth and the like, and he became a strong Christian. But this, this uh, guy was saying, uh, you know, we're like servants in Caesar's palace. You know, you find in the New Testament that all through the thing, and he said, we, one, one guy was doing scripts for Home Improvement, and another was a production assistant for The Sandlot. And yeah. they, they filmed it in Salt Lake City, but the ball gets over the fence, and they have this scary dog, and that sort of deal. And and they're all through that. Um, you know, Jess Moody, when he was out there in Van Nuys, would have all kinds of people in his church. Some of them you just, like, oh, no, you know, how you can't see, you can't look to see how it's going to turn out with Burt Reynolds and Lonnie Anderson. Or or uh, I think one of the Quades was in there. And they had a guy named Al Kasha who won an Oscar for um, doing the music for either The Poseidon Adventure or Towering Inferno. So they're out there, um, but they don't have big influence, but they, there's a little bit of antiseptic value that, uh, that they have in some cases where they could say, yeah, I don't, you know, don't think so. Look, I, on Kairos Journal, we, one, of the, one of the publishers, Mrs. Kampouris, was in Sesame Street for, oh, a dozen years or so, and I, she, she created a bunch of characters, <laughs> uh, including um, Meryl Sheep. <laughs> Meryl Sheep, uh, she co-hosted the Today Show with The Count. And every once in a while, Henson would say, hey, let's do this. Let's kind of make something cute about witches. Or, and she'd say, you know, I don't feel good about that. I mean, this was Anton LaVey's season, and, you know, the Count is Dracula, and why don't you make um, somebody his wife? And she said, I, I don't feel good about that to sort of make light of the occult. And, and Henson would back off, and he'd say, well, we'll, we'll do something else. We'll change this little jingle. And so, yeah, God bless them, but... I think it's a long way for for um, you know devout Orthodox Christians to be uh, you know studio chiefs or uh, but I'm, I'm I think it's a both and thing and I do think the industry's having a tough time. I mean I know Amazon, Netflix, these guys are going great guns and it kind of hurts my feeling to go to the theater and and be there were like eight people in there and so I try to buy a bunch of popcorn and coke just to keep the thing afloat. They're I think they're in a teachable moment now. Well, the industry is facing a big change, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty right now, given all the players getting into streaming. Even Netflix is facing some challenges, because uh, the other studios that are starting streaming services are pulling their their library away from Netflix, and so Netflix is having to create their own. And on one hand, it's creating a, a feeding frenzy for creating new content, 
Um, but what's happening with the independents is more distressing because it's very hard for independent filmmakers to raise the financing in the ways that they used to do that. Um, we used to be able to pre-sell territories for distribution to raise a significant portion uh, of our, our, our budgets, um, but we can't even do that now um, because the market is so uncertain for uh, independence. And so we're, we're sort of beholden to the big studios and the streaming services now. Did not know. Not surprised. Yeah. yeah. Not surprised. But it's, it's not like going killer. away. I mean, it's, you know, it's going to be powerful uh, right down the line. Incidentally, we, we enjoy watching BBC stuff. We were, we just watched four of, um, oh, it's like Mr. Witcher's uh, suspicions or something like that. And, and it's a detective in, in Britain or, or, you know, what have you, uh, um, what was it? Summer, summer bee murders or something like that. Sometimes we watch these murder mysteries and it seems, it, it seems as though almost every time when there is early on someone in the, in the episode who has a Bible and quotes verses or has a cross on the wall, huh. or, you know, they're either going to be the murderer or some kind of <laughs> creep, you know, it's, it's just so predictable. Uh, you know, you'll have some twit as a, an Anglican priest or some phony or, you know, judgmental guy. And, and you think, come on, BBC, you know, give us a break. So, boy, if, if some of these could just do a sympathetic treatment of a minister, and we've done the same thing. I mean, you'll have a guy preach hellfire and brimstone out in the Wild West, and then in the night he'll slip around behind the wagon and take a nip and try to grab some gal or something like that. And you say, come on, give us a break. What are some of the good things you're seeing in the Christian film industry? Well, you know, I am encouraged, even though, um, you know, I, I wouldn't rank these up with uh, training your dragon in terms of production values and all this sort of thing. I mean, I, I'm encouraged that the Kendricks have done some things and I, you know, the fireproof and I, that one, I mean, that that dealt with something people struggle with. And, and so I'm glad People are doing some things like that. Your own work is is very impressive. Uh, in fact, let me tell you this. Um, I today I had lunch with. Um, I'll be as vague as I can, but a fellow who was raised in the Middle East, and um, my wife introduced us because she was he, she was teaching um, his wife English as a second language, and we got to talking about film today. And I said, "Look, I'm going to talk with uh, a man tonight about film." And I said, do you enjoy films? And we talked about around the world, Bollywood, Nollywood, Hollywood, you know, Shepperton Studios, just a bunch of stuff. And he, he, there were some films that they showed at an art house here in his native language, but he loves uh, John Wayne Westerns and uh, a variety of things, but he loves animation. He just gets <laughs> such a kick out of animation, including what, Bearstein bear, Bears and, and so forth. And, and this is a man who's, who's grown and has a daughter in high school. He's just a guy from the Middle East, and he loves animation. It is such an infectious uh, infectious medium. Well, I recently saw a report, uh, I think it was at the American Film Market website, and it showed that animated films are slowly eclipsing uh, live-action films in the family film genre. But again, I mean, a lot of this stuff, you know, like Rio or Lion King or something, a lot of it is keyed to children. 
And of course, the parents go along and take them. But uh, I don't know. Movies kind of like um, what would be examples? I mean, even like the classics like Casablanca and Citizen Kane and Twelve Angry Men, and you know, um, just even the old black and white sort sort of classic. I don't know that we have fare like that that we can we can plug into. And I, I think that well, for one thing. And they used to do this on airlines. If if you had a like a little bit of nudity or really raw talk, then they could edit them a little bit so everybody could watch them and not be offended. And in some cases, they'll have a film and they'll put in a little bit of something that would embarrass you to take your mother or your child or whatever. And if they would just take that little gratuitous thing out, to but they're doing it to get a you know whatever an R, then it could be such a good film. And I think. Christians could could tell some great yarns if uh, and then tell them without these humiliating things and uh, and step into the step into the niche there. As a professor of Christian aesthetics, what do you see as some of the important values that Christian filmmakers should be striving for to put into their work, other than being biblically faithful and that sort of thing? Well, I think that there are. Um, for again, and there are a lot of wonderful stories. Um, I, I I do think truth likeness is awfully important. Uh, you know, I remember Tom Hanks got a lot of uh, uh, kudos of that film, Saving Private Ryan, because the people who went through Normandy, you know, they say that landing was the way it was. I mean, here's a guy, his arm shot off, numb. He picks up his arm and runs with it. You know. Uh, the bullets whistling over just the madness of the landing, and they said, "You got, you got that right. That's the way it was there." And uh, in, I, I think of like Christie. You remember this was a television series, and they were pushing us. Everybody turn out and watch Christie. You know, and and to me, it was so saccharine and so precious, and 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 even in terms of like outfits. Um, what was the one Blade Runner, you know, started to introduce more of the kind of this kind of dystopian, uh, dirty, drippy kind of future instead of like, uh, you know, super clean space stuff or something. Yeah. like. That. And so uh, I, I think that if Christians could represent folks in in truth likeness, I mean, we're truth people. And. And by the way, I don't think we need to worry about being preachy because, and we get so skittish about that. But you know, Michael Moore, he is he is so preachy. Uh, Oliver Stone, so preachy. Uh, the guys who made again Brokeback Mountain or Girls Don't Cry, you know, uh, with Hilary Swank and other, they are preaching, preaching, lay it on, laying it on so heavy. Um, and so I don't think we need to say heavy message is, you know, is, is our mistake. But if we could be truth people where we don't put out bogus notions, crazy conspiracies, we don't, you know, we, we have people dress and speak the way they really do. We show warts, but we show glory. Um, I think that could be very compelling. Yeah, I agree. Um, whether a film is secular or faith-based, every film preaches. Some are subtle and some are really overt. Uh, but when you read the screenwriting books, most of the screenwriting books will say the same thing. They, they will say you need to have a theme and you need to have 
uh, a point for what why you're making this film. It's almost like an argument. A film is like an argument. And, and I'm a preaching elder at my church, and I've been preaching for at least a decade now, and I've been studying preaching. I found that books on preaching are very similar to books on screenwriting. And I'm not talking about today's modern preaching books that are trying to, to draw from uh, Hollywood and Hollywood screenwriting. I'm talking about books that were written a century ago, two centuries ago that I've read, Telling a story and preaching a sermon are two very similar um, activities. In fact, I'm planning to put up a recommended resource guide on the Ministry of Motion Pictures website. And within the screenwriting um, category, I'm going to put in some old books on preaching. I think, too, there's some, um, I don't know, some interesting models that you might find out there. Um, this one I saw about World War I. Um, I think it's they shall not grow old. Uh, they just took footage of soldiers just mucking around on the front and living in the trenches and whatever. And so often just church life is, is treated as though the people are shallow. You know, they'll go into a service and the guy will do a little lame homily and you know, they go out and live like the devil. And it's just like, this is just cheesy stuff. I bet there's a lot of footage from mission trips and from church volunteer stuff and the like, where somebody could put that together to just show what it's really like to be a Christian in, in fellowship in an interesting way. I mean, going back to the 50s and 30s and um, and again, where you find somebody doing it and think, well, hey, we could do that and we could actually do it better. I mean, I had a thing on the wall when I was a pastor. Somebody gave it to me and it says, don't attribute to malice what can be explained in terms of ignorance. And, you know, sometimes you get bent out of shape if your parishioners aren't tracking with you. They get mad and say, well, they may not, they may have never heard that before and been taught otherwise. Sometimes I get so frustrated at Hollywood, and then I think they don't have a clue. I mean, they'll, they'll do something about courtship or dating. And, I mean, these guys are in bed, like, on the first date or the second or whatever, and it's all very normal. And then you think, you know, there's a richness to Christian dating where you're, you know, the the passions are raging, you know, but you're wrestling with remaining chaste and, and, you know, shall we talk about spiritual things and this and, I mean, the intrigue of Christian courtship is so rich and it's not as though they understand it and then they reject it. It's like they don't have a clue how we yeah, live. Yeah. And so I, sometimes I'll see a cat and its tail will come up and then sort of, I don't know, twist and turn and then lie back down on the ground. And I look at that and I think, how in the world would somebody do that? <laughs> That's a pretty crazy example. But I, I don't think they know us. So we know a lot of stuff about ourselves that they don't know. So we're the only ones that can really make these. Now, every once in a while, you'll have, you remember Tender Mercies with Robert Duvall? Yeah. And that had really a, a very nice redemptive feel to it. And I don't quite know how that happened, but it was it was quite wonderful. So they'll, what do they say, a blind hog can find an acorn now and then. Every once in a while Hollywood will come out and and like that, but we're the ones who know our story. And I mean, we have we have famous writers of all sorts, and we'll have Lewis and Tolkien and Flannery O'Connor and so forth. But I just don't think we have a bunch of good high-level models of what it is to be a an anointed Christian filmmaker. Yep, that's the question that perplexes me. 
But what we're seeing is not necessarily a bad thing. We're, we're seeing Christian filmmakers grow up within the church as sort of a grassroots movement. Um, they're not people working in Hollywood. Because once you get into the Hollywood system, it's hard to get out of it. The money's good and you're, you're working steady. But that's where you learn the craft. This isn't something that you can just go out and do and do well immediately. It takes time learning this craft. I mean, I know Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola are famous for saying that someday any kid's going to be able to pick up a camcorder and make a movie. Well, that's true to a point, but it's going to take time for that filmmaker, that young kid, to develop the, the skill set and the eye and the taste and, and the ability to pull off a feature film or even a 30-minute TV show. It's, it doesn't happen overnight. There is a craft to this that has to be learned. And that's why a lot of our Christian films... Uh, look clunky. They look low budget, even though they have as good of budgets as many other secular low budget films that do very well. Um, it's just we don't have that training ground for the filmmakers to develop their voice and their ability um, to be making great films. But then on the other hand, as you said, Hollywood has the craft, they have the skill set, they have the means to, to do Christian films, but they don't know us. And they might make very beautiful, well-crafted films, but they're not going to be films that resonate with our audience. Yeah, no, I think it's it's true. And I have such respect for for those guys and what they can pull off. I mean, you're just hanging hanging on every word of dialogue. You're sitting on the edge of your seat. And, and uh, I mean, I remember when I was teaching at Wheaton way back, I would go to maybe a film a week. And I, I once I just thought, okay, well, I'll go see this Halloween movie. And I didn't know whether those guys trick or treating or what. I guess there was something scary in it. That thing with Michael Myers, you know, and 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 the like. That thing I think took about a year off my life. I mean, it scared me so badly. <laughs> but I think I lost some hair that night or something. And even though it wasn't <coughs> at all Christian or you know, it was just very strange and dark. I thought, wow, could they make a film? I mean, what a what a deal that was. Look, I tell you, and by the way, one of the things we get stuck stuck on with Christians is that we have these little markers. You know, you'll have all right, language, sex, violence, whatever. I think one of the most dangerous films I ever saw when I was teaching at Wheaton was Same Time Next Year with Alan Alda and Ellen Burstyn. And somehow or other, they were both up at this inn in the mountains in California and and uh, they were both married, but uh, she was doing a little retreat, and he was, I don't know, on the road as a salesman or something. And one thing led to another, and they ended up having a one-night affair up there away from their spouses. And it was so tender, and, and the conversation was so rich that through the years, through the decades, they would meet up there. And it was PG. I mean, it wasn't R. And, and yet... Um, and, they, and as they would grow older, you know, sometimes they wouldn't be intimate, but they'd just talk and catch up with the kids. And anyway, the whole, and they would go through different fashions. He might be wearing, you know, bell bottoms and have a little afro or something one year and, and you know, look like a clown. And, and, <laughs> and, and as he's working through it, but the, 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 the teaching of the thing was, hey, you know, adultery, adultery is challenging, but it can be fulfilling and wholesome. Meanwhile... If it was found that you went and saw um, 
oh, I don't know, just, well, let's just say something like Schindler's List, where there's just a little touch of nudity or Deer Hunter, um, where he has some pretty rough violence, it's an R, then, like, that's verboten. And I thought, I don't want to become like these guys. I'm not being yeah, drawn yeah. into this in the R for them. But, boy, that PG, that's kind of cute. I mean, what if I... But if I'm on the road sometime and meet this really neat gal and we can just have a rapport, I mean, I, I wasn't tempted, but that was a more dangerous movie. So we have these little trigger things like, oh, that that's not right. This is, I will have one, mention one other problem. I think that there's a huge premium in the arts world and painting and sculpture and all kinds of things to be a little bit edgy and heretical just to get your creds. Uh, you know, I, I can't make it too tame or they won't respect me. I'd better have something a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, transgressive or bohemian. or. And so I think sometimes they're not trusting of their Christian artists that, you know, they may, you say, okay, we'll commission a sculpture. And they, lo and behold, bring, as they did to Coventry, I think, uh, or, they're, well, this is a famous thing. <clears throat> they'll put like a nude female on a cross or something like that. And I mean, I've seen that before <clears throat> and it's, it's just, I mean, they're always pushing the envelope to do something and like, well, I just want to expand this or, uh, I think it was, um, Oh, what was it? It was one of those, maybe it was Rob Bell, somebody they had an art show and then somebody, um, I don't know, had Gandhi up there and then someone puts a, it's sort of suggesting Gandhi's part of the God's great work on earth or something. And someone put a little sticker up there saying, are you sure Gandhi's in hell, isn't he? And, and he's really incensed like, Oh, how dare you, you know? And, and the idea was that in a Christian art show, you're sort of lifting Gandhi up as some kind of a saint. And, and so I, I think it doesn't take many of those things for people to say, I don't trust these artists. You know, they're too, they're too artsy and transgressive. And, so I, I think that kind of plays in mind in minds too. If we pay for this whole thing, we bring the whole crowd in to watch it, and then lo and behold, there's this, you know, naughty part or something like that. Oh, never again will I pay these guys. I I, I think it's a little bit of a problem. When we were in seminary, they came to chapel one day and they said, "Okay, there's a new film, and everybody gets a free ticket, and you can go and you get a free popcorn." So we all went out there being seminary students, poor, and it was it was chariots of fire. And I remember at the end, it's it's like Eric Little came off pretty well, and he was even preaching and so, you know, Jenny, the Lord made me fast, and when I run, I feel His pleasure, and all that. And then it it ended, and we thought, wait, there's another reel, you know? They they left it out, and it's the reel where the guy then ends up in sort of a, a bordello in in Liverpool, or, and it's like you can't end a film in such a such a kind way to the Christians. And and, and so you'll I remember Babette's feast the first time I saw that. I just thought, wow, that was remarkable that this, you know, gourmet woman from Paris is preparing a wonderful meal for these Protestants out and and I mean it's like really? How did that happen? Uh, it's kinda like an Aurora Borealis. You're you're sort of struck. It, it is a shame, though, that typically we have to rely upon their bus lines, you know. And if we could run our own bus line where, say, like, get on ours and let us take you somewhere, I think that would be wonderful. Maybe there could be a big foundation. Somebody could, you know, throw in $20 million to endow, uh, you know, Christian filmmaking 
funding or prizes or something. I don't know. That'd be something. I'd like to see that. I think that the Protestants have been behind uh, a bit. I mean, I think the Catholics, I mean, the whole Italian, uh, what is it, Cinecite, the, the, I mean, you've got the whole Fellini, Antonioni, Scorsese, yeah. you know, yeah. that tradition, and you've got Pathé in France and all that stuff. And and um, I, I don't know that Protestants have done so much. Maybe, I mean, the Mormons, I mean, you've got this thing with Napoleon Dynamite and some of these others. I mean, wow, where did that come from? And I uh, think uh. maybe, maybe Capra may have been Christian science. I can't remember, but we just haven't had a presence there. I mean, our, yeah, yeah. you know, our, our, whatever, Orson Welles or our, uh, you know, our guys haven't, haven't made the, the big splash yet. But yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, look, this is kind of a bad analogy, but Trump, with his tweets, has changed the way coverage happens. I mean, instead of waiting at night to see what CNN thinks of him or Fox or something, whatever, and he waits around and then he tries to get his press secretary to say something in a couple of days and maybe someone will pick it up, he just sends it out. I mean, whatever, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, and it drives the news cycle. And uh, I just think that there are delivery systems uh streaming or you know just through kendrick type stuff where we could just get our stuff out there and we don't have to we don't have to wait and i every once in a while our channel our tv gives us access to the short shorts channel i don't subscribe to it but they're just banging those things out and a lot of them are pretty pretty crazy or creepy but if, if we could just get someone you know adept at turning out a, a five or ten minute short or 15 minute short um, that would be that would be cool. Yeah, well, now we're in a streaming marketplace where that distribution channel is beginning to define um, the limitations that we work with, which means we're removing the limitations. I've recently been working on some commercials for Netflix, and you know these commercials are going either on the internet or on their streaming service. Um, and whether it's 14 seconds or 15 seconds or 27 seconds or 32 seconds, ultimately, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're going to charge for the cost of how long the, the thing is, but we're not we're not subject to a particular duration that we have to hit. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because we made some PSAs when I worked at the SBC. And, I mean, it had to be 15 or maybe a minute, but it had to be very precise. Uh, yeah. That, that, yeah, that... That is interesting. And, of course, then you have guys, I think Will Ferrell and some other people have been making YouTube stuff. I mean, I, I think Spielberg, wasn't his, one of those first ones about this guy, I think it was Dennis Weaver, was coming down remote roads and this tractor-trailer rig was chasing him. And I think it was called The Duel. You know, crazy, crazy stuff on the mountain roads of California. And it didn't have the finished look of, Raiders of the Lost Ark or the budget, and yet, you know, and maybe maybe just through film schools or something like this, you know, I think he was maybe doing that at USC or USL. It was a TV movie that Sid Sheinberg got him. But if yeah. if somehow there could be entry level stuff where you didn't have to work yourself up from being a production, you know, assistant finally getting a job to direct, but if you could, if if we could have. I don't know, little budgets where you're like, hey, can you do, can you give us 10 minutes of this thing that nobody's ever heard of in yeah, Canada yeah. or something? I, well, short films are the natural entry point to for filmmakers uh, to develop their craft. Um, 
But an interesting thing is happening today with, with the, the, the lack of time limitations. Netflix has recently released a new series uh, called Love, Death, and Robots. And it's um, science fiction animated shorts. The, they, they range anywhere from three minutes to 15, maybe 20 minutes. Um, I think David Fincher was behind this show in some fashion. And it'll be interesting to see if shorts are making a big comeback for mainstream viewing uh, in some similar fashion. But be careful watching it because some of the um, episodes are quite raunchy. I haven't seen them all. I have a friend at my studio who uh, told me which ones I should watch and which ones to avoid. Um, so just be careful if you're going to go look for that show. But yeah, I just I think there's a whole a whole possibility. I mean, it's almost as though these are pioneers and they're crossing the prairie and they're schooners and the you got the tall grasses in Kansas and they yeah, they think yeah. there might be gold out there and oh my goodness, I hope we can get to the mountains where the Indians catch us. And, and you know, I just think I think it is <laughs> it's kind of an exciting time to to be in that if we could, as you say, if we can if we can get the cash. And, Yes, we do need the support, but we, Christian filmmakers also need to step up to the plate and start delivering the kinds of stories and films that our audience wants to see and, and do it well. I mean, there, there, is a, there is an onus on Christian filmmakers to um, earn their keep, so to speak. Is there, I guess this is almost passe now, but there's, there's not really a chance of a network of Christian theaters or outlets because you know the theaters having a tough time right now and would you have enough material to show much night after night i mean maybe maybe you could have um i don't know christian theater owners and they they have like one theater designated for for uh christian films i boy i don't know as far as the how would i put it as far as the kind of embarrassing uh sub quality stuff i i kind of think of something that a, a guy said at our religious emphasis week in college he was chaplain to the razorbacks in in arkansas and he said you know um if you if a, if a dog has found something in a dumpster or by the dumpster and it's an old uh, rotten piece of meat it's a little bone a little bit a lot of bone a little bit of meat maybe a maybe a maggot owner or something and you try to take it away from him i mean he may bite you or you can lift it and his grip on it will let you lift him in the air. You know, he will not let go. But if you toss a stake over to the side, he'll drop that bone in a second and go for the stake. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm skittish about trying to take the bone, you know, like, oh, that's, that's embarrassing or it's, it's cheesy. Uh, and just say, no, God bless him, you know. But, yeah, man, yeah. let's see if we can throw a stake down over here and get yeah, people yeah. excited. Spielberg the other day, a fellow died, and I was reading, I think, Wall Street Journal the bit. And he was a guy who shepherded a lot of young filmmakers away and through. And he basically, to Spielberg, he gave him a lot of room to fail. I mean, he just said, you can make some stinkers, and I'm with you. And boy, what a dream that would be. That must have been Sid Scheinberg. I think it was. He was Spielberg's angel. Well, Mark, are there any other things that you'd like to talk about that are on your heart? Well, I'm just delighted you're... You care about these things, and you're so good at what you do. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I just lifted up your uh, the DVD I have, and and I thought I'm going to give this. Um, well, he's he's a Muslim in transition out of Islam, uh, and 
I could think of nothing better to just uh, put. I, I, by the way, I did mention um, the Passion, uh, not the Passion of the Christ, the Jesus film to the area of Campus Crusade. And uh, we took that thing to the interior of Brazil. We, they had no electricity. It was the Wild West of Brazil in the uh, Amazon region. And um, we put up a sheet, big sheet on a frame, and we had a generator, and we showed the Jesus film. And we went around the town with a loudspeaker car, and that night 700 people stood, and I was running the projector, the guy right beside me, stood transfixed holding a child in his arms for like whatever it was an hour and a half and then we asked people you know would they like to receive Christ as Savior and Lord and I think we had maybe 14 people that night and every time we showed it it just poleaxed people and uh, I just thought oh my um, and, and it was a simple gospel story but you could if we could repeat that not just with that but with just Great. I mean, in in its own way, Blindside, you know, was I mean, here's a family that prays and yeah. take him in in a Christian school. When we even approximate something like that, you can have wonderful impact. So, God bless you. I mean, I, I work in philosophy, and I, I think we we have earned our disdain. You know, <laughs> kid goes off Welcome. to college like. Dad, I'm majoring in philosophy. Oh no, you know I've lost my child. <laughs> so we've worked real hard for a long time, uh, becoming pariahs in the Christian realm, and I have much higher hopes for the film. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, at Southern we do it in a godly way, and, and it's winsome. But I'm just like. In our next episode, Dr. Kevin Van Hooser will be with us to talk about his theological work that he calls Theodrama, or the Drama of Doctrine, and together we consider its potential for helping Christian filmmakers. Thank you for joining us on the Ministry of Motion Pictures podcast. You'll find show notes and more resources at our website, ministryofmotionpictures.org.